And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris with you on this Wednesday. Hey, it's September. We have flipped. The page on the calendar, the last month-ish of the season. Season does run into the first couple days of October. I think you were telling me yesterday the World Series can run into the last couple, uh, first couple days of November. So that'd be pretty exciting if everything played out that long. But uh, on this episode, it is time to take an L for me. Victor Robles' option to AAA, which has inspired an entire show about players that either we as a show we're wrong about, as individuals, or possibly just the fantasy community at large based on where players were going back in the spring and what they've done to this point in the season. Obviously, a month can help turn things around, but at this point, I think all of these guys we're going to talk about are still going to be clear underperformers for 2021 relative to expectations. You know, how's it going for you on this Wednesday? It's good. I'm not taking the Robles L. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm also not uh, uh, red in the face. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, Derek is uh, has taken on the hue of his shirt. Yeah, I think it's the lighting in here that needs some work. Uh, so my apologies to our, our viewers on YouTube, but <laughs> it kind of looks like I ate uh, the Willy Wonka gum, and instead of turning into a blueberry, I'm turning into a tomato. <laughs> yeah. So, or or had some ghost pepper hot sauce or something. Yeah, uh, I can not assure you, overheat. I am not in pain. <laughs> I did not eat a ghost pepper. I am comfortable. Things are good. Even the wall, which is white, looks sort of pink. So. Yes, <laughs> you uh, you should also uh, be feeling okay. You got to see you got to was that your first game at Oracle or whatever it's called? Yeah, uh, yes, San Francisco Park. Yeah, yeah, first game and, at Oracle uh, yesterday. Woodruff shoved, looked real good. Yeah, I mean he was he was hitting like ninety nine at the top of the zone at some point late in the game. Yeah, that was nasty. I mean the the last two nights uh, the Brewers have really uh, given it to the Giants. Yeah, we were talking about this on the the way back from the game. We're saying, you know, there are probably two kinds of playoff teams: the kinds you believe are legitimately title contenders, and then the other teams that just get in the playoffs. And obviously, a team from that latter group can win the World Series. Anybody who gets in the playoffs can get there and, and win it. But I would say the Giants are tracking more towards that that second group of playoff teams, and the Brewers have sort of convinced some people more recently that they absolutely do belong in that first group that should be taken a bit more seriously. Yeah, I just, uh, it's hard if it's like, if it's just recency bias and like maybe that's just, maybe like, you know, in three games the Giants are shoving again. But what you see or what we saw in these last couple of games, I feel like are like the top end talent that the Brewers have, you know? And it that seems to be shine brighter than the Giants' depth. The Giants like remind me of kind of the A's where it's just like, we're going to depth you 
to 100 wins. Uh, but then when we line up for the, the postseason, you're going to be like, okay, it's uh, Gossman against Woodruff. And uh, I mean, Burns against Alex Wood. Burns against Wood and uh, Peralta against Discafani. And uh, who's the better closer, Hader or McGee? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it kind of, um, yeah, I think it kind of, to me, sort of brought out the reason why people thought the Giants would, would regress and not necessarily even win the division. That's it. I think they can still win the division, but I, I, I don't think that I put them in that like World Series contender bucket. It just I'm looking for uh, standout names in the peak of their careers, and I've kind of left wanting. Yeah, I mean Chris Bryant, you could probably even say is post peak, but still closer to peak than a lot of the other players that have come through in a big way this year. Of course, Posey and Crawford, the turnaround seasons they have had that we've talked about, those are amazing. But I think where I, I was kind of left wanting more from that Giants team yesterday was just kind of looking at their defense. They didn't have a great defensive game and a Chris Bryant threw a ball away. Threw it away pretty yeah. Defense was sloppy. In the first inning, Johnny Cueto got Babbitt pretty good. That was not the fault of the defense. But uh, seeing Mike Yastrzemski playing center field, like that's just, to me, a, a championship caliber team has a good defender in center field. And I, I just don't think that's really how I would describe Mike Yastrzemski. And he's taken a step back as a hitter. They play Alex Dickerson a lot. I think Dickerson's more of a first guy off the bench than someone who plays on the big side of a platoon. Just looks really shaky on defense, too. Mm-hmm. Like, he almost ran into Chris Bryant. He did run into Mike Gostromski the other day. Uh, just looks, and he just, like, body language-wise, just looks kind of nervous out there. Actually, the guy that I think would, would be at the front of the rotation for the postseason behind Gossman is probably Logan Webb based on how he's pitched mm, recently. That's so right. I, yeah. I think that does make them a little more dangerous. It narrows it a little bit. But, I mean, who are you taking, Burns or Webb? Well, yeah, still taking Burns. But at least Webb, to me, gives them a shot. Like, I, I think mm-hmm. they're... Especially if he continues shoving like he has. Right. Like, he's found another level here in these last few weeks. I, think I comped him to, like, a right-handed Dallas Keuchel, which is, you know, it's fun because... Peak Dallas Keuchel was really good. Like it's hard yeah. to remember that right now. Uh, but all right, I'm I'm delaying. I'm stalling. I'm trying not to <laughs> take the L. I'm just I'm getting it out of the way right now. And I was um, a little bit uh, facetious yesterday when I tweeted with a beer in front of me that I was planning a 12 minute speech about Victor Robles. I think it kind of all boils down to a couple things. The first being part of the reason why I still believed in Robles going into this season, despite, you know, ice cold stat cast numbers is that I didn't think the things we want Robles to do require you to hit the ball hard on a regular basis. It is better to hit the ball hard than to not hit the ball hard. I'm not trying to make some sort of galaxy brain argument that uh, exit velocities don't matter. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying for this type of player, for a guy who because of his defense was supposed to play every day, And with his projected hit tool, a guy that would put a lot of balls in play, I didn't care that the average exit velocity wasn't very good. I didn't care that he wasn't going to barrel the ball that much because I was targeting him for 30 plus steals and hoping for 10 to 12 home runs, right? I think Mm. the the type of production I was expecting was more like a Starling Marte sort of production. Clearly not even close. I mean, there was, I I don't know how much of this is a health thing. I don't know how much of this is a coaching thing. I don't know if there are any excuses to be made at all. I was just flat out wrong. But I think I I was hoping that Robles would be a Starling Marte type fantasy player. And I guess my proof of 
how it could work is the underlying numbers you see for a guy like Whit Merrifield in terms of exit velocity and, and the lack of barrels. Mm. Like, like Whit Merrifield doesn't pop as a, a good stack cast player at all. And even still, his average exit velocities are better than Robles' is. I will readily say that and point that out right now. But you don't get a lot of barrels. You don't get a lot of hard contact. And yet, because he keeps his K rate really low, I mean, much lower than what Robles has done so far, he does pretty well. And because he runs well, he does well on balls in play. And I kind of thought that was the script that Robles could follow. So that was my thinking. Uh, am I wrong by process or am I wrong by result or am I just wrong by both in this case? I don't know, man. You still look at his projections and he's still projected for a 320 OBP and nearly a 400 slugging by something like the Bad X. Uh, that should play. He just never played to that projection. Um, and uh, in terms of what he actually did... Now we have his last 500 plate appearances. He has an OPS under 650. The reason I bring that up was that Jeff Zimmerman had that whole thing. We did a whole show about the 650, about how many guys who would steal bases that um, that had were projected for better than the 650 because people don't keep their jobs if they don't have a 650 OPS. Victor Robles lost his job because he didn't have a 650 OPS. So I thought I'd just look at the leaderboards real quick and... There's only one player with more than 10 stolen bases this year that has less less than a 650 OPS. I bet you can almost guess him. Mm, Miles Straw? No. I won't take another guess. Who is it? Uh, Elvis Andrews. Okay, yeah. Makes sense. And and that's the that's where that's where we fall down the rabbit hole and start making excuses for the players because we say, oh, uh, Elvis Andrews is still a shortstop, Victor Robles center field, Miles Straw center field. Their defense will keep them on the field. I just don't know if that's true anymore. Look at what the Reds did at shortstop. The other closest uh, person is uh, Isaiah Kiner Falefa. Um, and, uh, even he had more than the 650 OPS. Uh, I feel like teams, uh, feel like they can run an offensive contributor out at every position in today's game. Like there's enough of a supply of players that they can, they don't have to have anybody out there that's just out there for defense. I think that's kind of gone the way of the Dodo bird. So I think the 650 OPS line is real. I think it's something that we should pay real attention to. And I understand that like Victor Robles is still projected for better than 650 OPS, but he's actually not projected for much better than a 650 OPS, especially if you're looking at like Steamer, he's projected for a 690 basically, right? And so below 650 then becomes a possibility. So I would like to, going forward, get my steals from guys that are projected for a 700 OPS or better. That's a good rule to follow. At least follow. if I'm paying real money for these guys. Right. Well, if we're because talking... a little different at the end of a draft Champions League or, you know, in real baseball terms, it's a little bit different if it's like a waiver wire claim for the the stretch run, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little different. But... Um, Oh, what is the other guy that was close? Victor, uh, no, Michael Taylor is close. He's a, he's a center fielder, but I, I don't know that he is going to have a job next year. 
Well, and the Nats saw the Michael Taylor movie for a, a long time. Yeah. And that might have had something to do with the, the Robles decision-making process. Maybe. I mean, I, I just wonder if he needs a fresh start, new organization. A couple of things that did go right for him did hit the ball a little harder than he has the last two years, just in terms of average exit velocity. I think more importantly, though, K rate was down from where it was in the shortened season. Walk rate at a career-best 9%. Um, now, you could always look at something like that and say, well, was he being too passive relative to his strengths, right? Because this is a guy that was projected to have an above-average hit tool. If he's taking a lot of walks and not doing damage in situations where he could have done some damage to get those walks, then that's a missed opportunity. Again, uh, it for me, merits further exploration, but it's a, a, a frustrating turn for me. It's been obviously a bad season. There are plenty of places where I had to cut him and reserve him and move on earlier this year, but it all comes back to one question. Will I be in in 2022? And if the path looks like it's clear for a regular playing time again in deeper leagues. Yes, I, I will be because the price is going to bottom out. No one wants anything to He's do pretty with pretty much going to be a dollar type player. He's going to be free. Last round type guy. Yep, and he can still do enough stuff. I think there's just a little glimmer of hope in the projection. That's where that my sort of 650, 700 OPS thing kind of goes out the door. I don't care as much. Right situation, but it would apply to the the, like the mid round price tag. If Robles is a pick one hundred to pick one fifty guy over the course of draft season, which is what he was in twenty twenty one, that's a lot of risk in the profile based on that particular metric. And I think that's a fair line to draw. I think the other guy that I want to take the L on, since I'm just going to humiliate myself for the entire show, (laughs) Gavin Lux, because I I thought Gavin Lux was this year's Kyle Tucker. I said it time and time again on this show, on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast. I said it anywhere people would listen. If I wasn't talking about Robles. I didn't say it. I'm not taking this L either. That's why it's on my side of the screen. (laughs) No, it's because the graphics come in from that side. Uh, I'm uh, sure sure I won't get away with not taking an L on this show. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll find them. Yeah, well, no, they're out there. I mean, I just, you know, for him, it's bad at ball quality, and I hate to come back to, to that. It's That's what's missing with Robles, too. Um, and uh, you're just you're looking for, for something um, with Gavin Lux. I mean, he did hit one ball uh, close to 110 miles an hour. Um, he had a below average uh, barrel rate, the hard hit rate, was the best of his career that, you know, his expected uh, slugging is higher than his slugging, but it's still only 381. So I think this is a guy that I personally um, expect uh, more like a 250, 310, 400 going forward, which is um, not necessarily starting material in most leagues. That's, that's like kind of a deeper league player. Yeah. The projections are very close to that range. So not a surprise that that's kind of where you're at with them. And and you look at it and you say, that's a league average bat. That's not a difference maker based on WRC plus. So unless you think there's still further growth here, and I think that's always the question with younger players, I would still say that applies to Lux and Robles, but yeah, he's 23. He could get stronger, could get bigger, could, could unlock something at the plate. 500 career plate appearances. I mean, not even yeah, there yet. It's not all writ, but in terms of batted ball events, 307. I mean, that's that's a that's a fair amount. Yeah. So expectations have cratered for Lux. I wonder if he's the kind of guy that'll actually trade in the offseason. And if the Dodgers are willing to trade him away, that kind of tells you that the ceiling that we thought he had probably isn't quite as high. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I bet you they would have traded him instead of Kybert Ruiz. So I'm guessing that the Nationals weren't that interested. 
that's interesting. I never really thought about that. I, th- I thought the Nats had a greater organizational need uh, behind the plate than they did up the middle <laughs> because of Garcia. You know what Lux looks like right now? What does he look like? I'm sorry to say this. Oh, no. Carter Keboom. Oh, that would be bad. Right? That'd Am be I very bad. I mean, look. I did this without looking at Carter Beagle's page, but it just occurred to me when I was thinking about the Nationals. So, uh, about a 4% barrel rate for Lux. Uh, Kiboom has uh, fewer batted ball events, but also has a 4%, 4.5% barrel rate. Um, max EV, it goes to Lux by two, though. So, that's 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 meaningful. Um, Kiboom's doing a little better this year uh, so far. I kind of see them as being very similar, actually. I mean, look at those projections. In fact, the projections like uh, Kiboom to have a better OBP. Uh, that's not a place you want to be if you are still a Gavin Lux truther. Lux should steal, I guess, a couple more. But Well, here's the thing. So the only thing I would throw at you about the projection for Lux is that it has some absolutely horrid 2020 numbers jammed into it. He hit 175 with a 246 Man, OBP Kibu. and a 349 slug in the shortened season. I mean, that's horrible. That's, yeah. that's factored in. And I just, how much of that do we even want to account for anybody when it was a complete disaster? Well, over? You can remove that. And then his career line is like 230, 300, Right. A little better. So the projection would be a little better. Anyway, yeah. it's still an L. I, I thought he was going to thrive, especially when Corey Seager got hurt. I just thought, this is it. This is the moment. Well, all right. Here's my L that I think it provides us a little bit of a segue. Gliber Torres? Gliber oh, Torres? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And and I, I wonder, so the projections still favor him over Lux. Uh, about 263, 340, 450. So an edge in every category. He stole 12 bases this year. So I guess I was going to ask uh, Torres or Lux next year. I mean, I don't want, but that's still pretty easily Torres, right? Safer playing time, I think, is a, a big part of that. But yeah. but is it safer playing time? The Yankees get crowded quick. But I guess the options for them have been like Andrew Velasquez and Tyler Wade. So yes, probably safer playing time. Yeah, see, I'm... I'm taking the L on Torres as well. If you're watching on YouTube, I flipped the video, so it, it was under Eno's name, but I, I deserve it too. <laughs> He's another player that I was wrong about. I think with Torres, I just I didn't see what he did in 2018 as a 21-year-old. I didn't see that as something he would be, be unable to repeat. I saw 2019 as the year of the rabbit ball, and of course he's not going to hit 38 Dude. home runs again. Like, Come on. No, no, stop talking. I'm going to take this L again. I'm in on Glibertorius next year. <laughs> I'm in on him. Dude, look at this. What's Let's just okay, let's not look at 2019. I don't care. I'm not buying 38 homers. I don't I don't need to. There's value here all over the place. Check this out. In 2018, his walk rate was 8.7%. In 2021 it was 10%. That's supported by a reach rate that went from 34% to 23%. So, he's improved his reach rate. He's he's got a better eye than he used to. He had a K rate of 25%. That's gone down every year. Well, 
it went up a little bit last year, but it's gone down and it's now underneath 20%. So, okay, here's a guy who makes good contact, has a good eye at the plate that, that has improved. Uh, and then now let's compare his max EV in 2018, 109 to 2021, 112. His barrel rate in 2018, 9% to 2021, 7%. What, what's, I don't know. I, like, I can't tell you what's wrong and why he only hit six homers this year. But I can tell you that I don't think he'll have as much uh, trouble with power next year. I, I'm going to buy again. In fact, he's so attractive to me, he might be part of... I always try to have a second base strategy. Well, does he have second base eligibility? Yes. No. No, he doesn't. Anyway, he could be part of a, a, a real cheap at shortstop thing. I'm, you're giving me back the L because I'm going to take it again. said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in. I'm back in on him. I I, I can't. I, he's like I, I I can't quit you. Yeah, there's a ton to like because the lineup that he's in, the park that he's in. I mean, the plate skills getting better. That that to me will always be something that can pull me back in. That's part of the reason why I'm not giving up forever on Victor Robles, even though there's growing evidence that it'd probably be a good idea for me to go ahead and and move on. But. Um, I mean, Gavin Lux has, I think, pretty good plate skills too, and I, I think hmm. it, it's not on the Torres level, but it, he's not clueless up there. That mm-hmm. gives me that glimmer of hope that he will, in fact, figure it out at some point. But another year of up and down playing time would be a problem. I don't think that's going to happen with Torres. I do think they're going to change positions for him, though. I think they're going to try and get one of the shortstops in free agency, move him off short, and move him back over to second base. So you're going to get that eligibility that you want. A week or two into the season, he should be eligible at both. Yeah, they could do that. The problem is that like shortstop's a young position. We have Brandon Crawford, and everybody else has been moved off the position. But you know, the Yankees did kind of do an older uh, shortstop before with Didi. Yes, they did. So I'm with you though. I'm in on Torres, and I'm guessing trying to predict the ADP for next year outside the top 100 for sure. I mean, his ADP this year I thought was a good like bargain. He was at 65 during the last week of March. If he's at like 125 going into December, that wouldn't surprise me at all. He still steals bases, so it won't go too far down because he'll still pop as someone who stole, you know, 12, 15 bases this year. He's below, uh, he's not even below the 650 threshold, man. Like, I, I don't think he's a danger of losing his job. He's a guy who has defensive ability, played skills. And the power underlying power numbers are better than the uh, than the noisy slugging and ISO were noisy, uh, and the underlying power numbers are better. Yeah, I would say that slash line is actually pretty encouraging in the projections for as bad as the season has been. To see two sixties, even a two seventy four from Zips in the batting average, yeah. you know, up to a three fifty three OBP, and slugging percentages in the mid four hundred range. It's actually really solid for a guy that's had basically a hundred and. 41 games now where he's been a 250, 330, 360 guy. I man, I can't explain it, dude. I have no idea where that power has gone. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about some other early round misses, though, among bats. I think it's important to set some ground rules here. Do we count Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger as early round misses, or do they get an injury pass? I, with Yelich, I'm just concerned it's chronic. So you give if you give him an injury pass, that sort of suggests that an offseason will clear it up. And one of the problems with the back is that... Uh, the outcomes on back surgeries are pretty terrible from what I gather. When they discussed it with some of my friends, you know, they said we can do back surgery, but it's like 50, 50 that it'll do anything. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like, Ooh, that sounds like it sucks. I mean, imagine if they said that for Tommy John, we can do Tommy John, but it's 50, 50. If it works out. Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to let this heal for a while. Yeah, so uh, like I don't know. I'm not saying that I know that Yelich needs back surgery, but we do know that he has a back problem, and that seems a little bit more worrisome actually than with Bellinger. Even though I know it's terrible that he's now a platoon player, you know, you can do 162 game splits, you, you can do everything, and say that Bellinger is useless. Uh, I'm not trading away in my dynasty league. I'm going to hold on to my shares. I'm going to buy next year, provided that I hear he had some surgery, the recovery went well, and he's coming to spring training on time. Hmm. That's the kind of stuff I want to hear from Bellinger. From Yelich, I'm just not sure what... If you give someone an injury pass, what you're suggesting is they're dealing with an injury, that injury will be cleared up at some point, and they will be good again later. And I just don't know what that process looks like for Yelich, right? It's like... Okay, even if they say he had back surgery, I'm still in the dark about whether or not that worked, right? Yeah, of course. And then he then he shows up, let's say he shows up in spring on time, you know, I still might be reading between the lines waiting for some sort of, um, you know, he played three games in a row sort of deal. <laughs> like, I'd, I, I would just be more nervous going forward. I imagine the market will handle Yelich and probably Bellinger pretty compled the way that it handled Chris Bryant going into this season. They're you know, similar age, two pretty significant injuries for those guys. With Bryant, it was maybe, the shoulder. Maybe Stanton? Yeah, maybe like that. Where I mean, they dropped to like the fifth and sixth round, right? It's a pretty good discount for both of those guys because they have a lot of ways to get there. Um, the word of caution I threw out there, I was talking to Al Melkier about Yelich yesterday on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast, the stolen bases. Those are going to continue to go away. He's at that age where that that fades, even for a really good player. So I think with Bellinger, I'm wondering what signs we need to see to know that he's really back, that the shoulder is healthy again. He had, obviously, the surgery going this offseason. So I I think just going through a normal offseason and being completely healthy for an offseason, 
getting strength right, back. Right, he's already even had the surgery. I kind of think just... like that's what he needs more than like another procedure. Like another procedure would probably steer me away. Whereas right. like, hey, I was able to shut it down for a couple of weeks at the end of the season, started getting after it right away. I went through a completely normal off season. Yeah, I guess what you're looking for almost from him is like I I put on you know 15 pounds of muscle or something. Right, because I'm looking. I mean, the max exit velocity for Bellinger is down four miles per hour. That's that's that just speaks to me of poor fitness, man. It just it just said some. He's just not as strong this year. And I don't think it's just going to go away for him, unless that was a worse shoulder injury, even he's with surgery, than realized. Yeah, he should be able to bounce back in a pretty big way. So if you I'm said bu- I'm buying him more than Yelich is what I'm saying. Yeah, I would too because of their respective ages. I mean, I I think. There's probably a little more floor with Yelich, but there's still, I think, a higher ceiling from Bellinger because he's younger. Yeah, and I think when you're bu- when you're buying one of these guys in, in like the fifth or sixth, you're doing the Stanton play. You're buying ceiling actually, because you've bought high floor and high ceiling with your first three or four picks, right? Mm-hmm. The fifth round is often a place where you see people, you know, pick up Nelson Cruz, you know, pick up like a fairly high risk players. That have high ceiling. Because if you lose your fifth round pick, it's, you know, it doesn't really tank your season. In fact, what, I, what what's been interesting to me is that I have uh, Yelich and Lindor on teams that will win it all this year. It's pretty good. So, I don't know. I don't know what that means. You, mean, you did a lot of other things right. Yeah, but yeah, I don't think there's like a top line takeaway where you're like, just don't X. There's almost not anything like that in fantasy, right? No. Is there a is there a thing I could say just don't ever X? I don't like just don't take a reliever in the first round. I guess you <laughs> that's probably a good rule. Someone out there is like, I won this year. I took you know took Hater in the first. Yeah, it's not it's not a good idea. You mentioned Lindor. We've talked about him before. He seems like such an obvious bounce back candidate. Kind of fits into the Glaber Torres bucket of like, from going into this year. Like I, I know that what he did at his peak might not be something he ever does again, but mm-hmm. I don't expect him to be a bad player. So I'll, I'll echo that again. I think Lindor is still good as an early round bounce back candidate next year. Uh, but DJ LeMahieu, we talked about Torres. The other Yankee that's really let them down relative to the expectations is DJ LeMahieu. He was being drafted as a top 30 overall player back in late March. And if you told me, yeah, the power is going to go away. Also taking this one. Well, I didn't have Zero him. shares. Yeah, I didn't have this. this <laughs> easy player for me to avoid because I just I couldn't get on board with it. Kind of like a batting average only guy. But where the hell is the batting average? He's hitting 266 this year. Like that. That's weird to me. Like nine homers in 125 games. Like, okay, sure. He's back to being pre-2019 DJ LeMayhew. That's fine. Why is he hitting 266? The K rate's still pretty good. 14.4%. I, I can't the really XBA like the expected batting average based on Statcast stats is only two seventy four, so hmm. it's not like he's been massively unlucky. Yeah, and the projections is for future guidance: two eighty three, three fifty one, four oh six, according to the Bat X. In what like, world are you drafting that player anywhere near the top thirty? Yeah, yeah, because he's not going to steal you many bags. Nope. He could be a uh, he could be an elite runs an RBI guy if he even if he gets back to that. I mean that 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 lineup is pretty murderous row. Yeah, so I guess you're getting average in runs. 
it's nice, but I think he falls like a hundred spots off his 20, 2021 ADP, at least. And if I buy him, I might be buying him to be a guy that can I can shuttle between CI and MI. He kind of might he becomes kind of like a um, best ball type player. Hmm. I think like a good underrated best ball type player because he will have eligibilities at first, second, and third next year. And I know that's why people a lot of people bought him high in, in, in best ball this year, but I think he'll drop so far and the best sort of the best format for him going forward would be best ball. Because then he can, he, if he has those, one of those high batting average weeks, he can slot in for you at three different places. Yeah, I think that that all makes or five sense. Five different places, really. But yeah, you look at the underlying numbers; still hitting the ball as hard as he did in the past. Like it just, it doesn't add up to me. Like I can't figure out how things turned this much on him, even though I wasn't that interested back in March. Well, it is kind of weird that he used to run babips that we basically say don't exist. You know. Like his career bat of his 341, he had 370 last year. He's had a 388 before. And a lot of those were floated by Colorado, which is a Babbitt floating machine. So, you know, look at his Babbitt now. It's 301. What do we expect him to do in Yankee Stadium? Um, the projections all say 319, which is why they're kind of a little bit bland. Yeah, I would say of all the players we've talked about so far, he's the least likely that I, I would go get next year. Even I'm not out completely. I'm more tell me the price and I'll think about it on right. here. But uh wow. I, I didn't see that coming from him. I, I thought if the power went away, he'd still hit three hundred. It would still pile up the runs. It'd still be a, a good season, even if it wasn't what you paid for. And uh that was a definitely a surprise to me. I wonder if he's he must be getting pitched a little differently. Because his, uh, see his, what am I seeing here? He's not hitting fastballs the same way. Check out his splits against fastballs. Like last year, he hit 385 and slugged 624 against fastballs this year. He's hitting 265 and slugging 351 against fastballs. And still getting fewer of them. He's seeing the most sliders of his career. I bet you he's, he's falling into a little bit of a trap with the sliders for strikes and then the fastballs for whiffs. Hmm. Um, but there, yeah, there's something else going on here. It's not, it's not super easy to diagnose. And, and on top of that, we're talking about a 33 year old player that if you remove, uh, 19 and 20 basically has like a 100 ISO. Yeah. And now he's well past the wrong side of 30 He'll be 33 next season. He turns 34 next July. So just not not a lot to get excited about for me with DJ LeMahieu at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I, one more hitter I want to talk about before we move on to some pitchers. Yohan Mankata. Like, what the heck happened here? I, I think there was a, a lot of questions. To, there were a lot of questions to be asked about him coming out of 2019 because that was such a massive step forward for him as a hitter. Right, the Statcast numbers were off the charts. Good. Got the 25 homers. Looked maybe like a 30 home run guy if he could stay healthy for a full season. Here he is hitting 265, nice 375 OBP, only slugging 400. Kind of showing us the same limited power that we saw in the shortened season. And I, I kind of chalked it all up to COVID because he mentioned it as a, a COVID long hauler. That he just didn't feel good last year for most of the season. I thought the bounce back was going to be a pretty easy one where at least 20 home runs were on the way. And you think about all the things that have gone 
right for the White Sox and getting healthier in the lineup too. I just expected more from him given that so many things have changed for the better over the time that he's been in Chicago. Yeah, you know, I might be in on him. I might be in on him next year because the strikeout rate was the best of his career. The swinging strike rate is the best of his career. Uh, his max EV did bounce back, so there was a health bounce back. It didn't bounce back to the 113 and 115 or 116 he had in 18 and 19, but at 111, it's still over that 108 threshold where we expect uh, the person to have power. His barrel rate at 8.4 is not the 11% he showed in 2019, but it's still pretty good. So I still see a guy who has pretty good power, and 136 ISO is not pretty good power. So I think next year he could hit uh, 260. Um, It's mostly we're reading off for projections here, but I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive with the power because his park is nice and it's going to make his power play up. And I think the... The strikeout range may be, may be real at 26. He, I think he might have a peak season in him. And so a peak season for him might be 275, you know, like a 360 OBP and like, uh, you know, like a maybe near a 500 slugging again. Hmm. I think that's still in him, man. And, and I think it would he would probably come with like five steals. So you're looking at uh, something close to a repeat of 2019 with a different ball. And I think that's still in him. It's wild that the season that Mankata is having in part because of the 375 OBP it's a 120 WRC plus like that just doesn't seem as good as it is and that gives me hope too that he's like he's become a better hitter you know this is the second best season by WRC plus it's not by fantasy it's definitely not a good fantasy season no I guess the other related question here is do you see any underlying indicators that are good proof that the power, the raw power is still there. I think for me, the max exit velo is not is pretty good. Yeah. It's not no, where it's, it used to be, but it's up from where it was last year. So it's not a, it's not it's a Bellinger also situation. It's better than average. It's the 108 is the, is the benchmark for kind of when you start noticing max EVs and he's at 111. 8.4% barrel rate. Does he just have a bunch of doubles that should have been home runs or something? I mean, 8.4% is not great. You know, like, Shohei has like 23%. <laughs> but, but he's the league benchmark. leader. So it's kind of, yeah, it's an unfair benchmark. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he does, let's see what his doubles rate is. He has 23 this year, and now 28. I don't know. His, it's not like his X slugging is, his expected slugging based on StackCast numbers is that much better. It's 412 to 400. I'm just kind of reading between the lines about it like a young player, you know, who's still within his peak that the underlying numbers aren't as devastatingly bad as the 136 ISO suggests it should, they should be. Each thing I check doesn't lead me to an answer either. I'm like, well, maybe he's hitting the ball on the ground too much. Look at his ground ball, right? Nope, that hasn't changed no, either. It's like, really. come on, man. Like He's not hitting fly balls. That's the one thing that stands out. Right, a lot of line so drives. There's, yeah, so there's something going on there. That's what's that's why he has a 355 BABIP. It's, he's kind of traded some homers for line drives. Which is not not amazing. I'm trying to think of ADP and relative cost. If Moncada and Torres are carrying a similar price, and you can only get one because you're 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 sure that either I or someone else in the room is going to take whoever you don't take. Torres makes better contact, has better eye at the plate, should have a better batting average, will steal more bases. All right, it's good good snap answer there. But I bet they'll be somewhat similar in terms of how they're treated based on where they were going into this season and what they've done over the course of this year. 
if I pick Torres and, you know, three rounds later, Moncada's still around, I, I don't know that I'm that scared to put them both on the same team. It shouldn't be too much of a concern given where they're going. It's not like they're early round building blocks at this like, what point. What do you think they, they go for an AL labor? You could probably get the two of them for under 15 bucks. I was thinking you're going to pay at least 30 for the pair and maybe as much as 35 because if there are zero playing time questions, thinking about the quality of those lineups, the park for Torres, decent park for Mancata, all those factors. I'm so in if I get them both for 30 bucks. I think I think you have to go to 35. I think you have to go like 18, 17 or 19, 16 or something like those that. Those players have really worked for me. They really worked for me this year. That was like Adamas for me this year. I don't think I even paid that much. I paid like twelve. But I I like those players, man. They're gonna play. You know, there's there are reasons to think they could play better. Well, file that prediction away in the vault. Thirty five dollars combined price. Uh, on Torres there's my, and there's my infield. And there's my AL labor infield. To Eno, I told everybody now. They're just not listening because they. I'm not talking about pitching. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, let's give the people what they want. Let's talk about some pitching, some early round pitching misses. Again, less for us, I think, than uh, for the market as a whole in this case. But I, I put my mistakes right up front today, so I'm not I'm not running for anything <laughs> right now. Uh, Lucas Giolito kind of caught my eye. I don't think he's a massive bust. If you took him early round two, you're, you're not sitting there and saying, I'm not winning my league because of Giolito, but you're looking at it and saying, huh, I guess I took him a little too early. Probably is going to finish somewhere in the back of the top 20 among starting pitchers instead of being a possible top five guy. Is this more indicative of the Giolito that you expect going forward? Or do you think there's the sort of bounce back potential where, yeah, you can get him at a discount now in 2022 and you could still get a guy that finishes top five among starting pitchers? You know, I always thought that his command uh, regression would come in the walk rate. And I wonder if it just came in the home run rate instead this year. I mean, 
the major difference between this year and la- I mean, he's lost a few strikeouts, but other than that, the major difference between last year and this year is his home run rate. It was one per nine last year, and it's one point four th- this year. What's interesting is I've seen some research just recently that the ball uh, that we ended up playing with this year uh, is performing mostly like the 2018 ball. And in 2018, Giolito had a 1.4 home run per nine. And this year he has a 1.4 home run per nine. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I think he's a really good pitcher. I would take him as my first pitcher next year, but I would not take him as my first pitcher in that like top two to three tier, you know, where like people buy him in the first two rounds, that those types. Okay. So yeah. So if you're playing the wait a little on starting pitching game, yeah. get a couple bats, two bats, maybe to start round three of a 15 team, or you're okay with Giolito as your, your sort of wait on an ace. It's not even waiting that long, but uh, I mean, I, it is these days. Yeah. For, for high stakes, it's waiting a long time for more typical leagues. It's probably, even a tinge on the the early Pro- side. Projections are better uh, th- than uh, pitching plus, um, or about the same. But uh, he still uh, rates really highly by pitching plus, and uh, it's only the only curve. Only the curveball is is not an above average pitch. Uh, He's not throwing it that often either. Yeah, I think. Uh, I would just one thing that's just annoying when I think about a guy like this is just what ball are we going to play with next year? <laughs> we don't even know what ball we're actually playing with this year, do we? Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I mean, what chance do we have of knowing what we're going to use next year? He's home run risky. That's the main thing with him. He's home run risky. It could go up or it could go down. If it goes down, he could be a, a top three pitcher next year. All right. Let's... Uh... But not not a massive drop. So basically, the the player he's been this year is a, a solid expectation for the player he could be next year with yeah, room for the so. bit more. Uh, Aaron Nola has a 4.30 ERA, but a good WHIP, plenty of Ks, not getting wins. So in terms of like dollars earned, he looks like a bust. But I don't know if you did anything wrong if you were taking Nola late in round two, early in round three of drafts back during draft season. Yeah, um, one interesting finding. Uh, from the validation for pitching plus was that uh, stuff plus is, is stickier year to year um, and uh, location plus uh, is more meaningful in season uh, in some ways. Um, the that, that makes it a little bit harder for me to uh, think about someone like Aaron Nola who makes his bones on, on, on location more than stuff. In terms of stuff plus, his knuckle curve is well below, well above average. His changeup is average. Uh, his cutter, which I think he started throwing this year, yeah, he didn't throw very much. Um, the four seam is below average, um, and the sinker is um, even more below average than that. So it's all about location for him, and it's good enough to get him kind of close to Lucas Giolito in overall pitching plus. But I think that location is more finicky next year to year. So look at Kyle Hendricks. You know, I know that Kyle Hendricks is the example of like, uh, oh, you know, command matters more, and this guy's been doing it forever, and blah blah blah. But he it, he didn't do it forever. He didn't do it this year. I mean, he's been all right, but he didn't do he didn't do 
you know, vintage Kyle Hendricks. So I kind of think that the command artists are uh, iffier year to year. I'm going to put this one on the screen. If you're on YouTube, you can see it already there, but I'll read it out loud. What the heck happened to Kyle Hendricks? Because I didn't have any reason to believe that he would fall apart like this. I mean, there's something about stuff that you can fall on. Here's the thing. You know, if you miss your location, uh, but you miss with stuff, you're good. Like yeah, you, you can still get a whiff. You can get away with it. And I think at some point, everybody misses the location. And at some point, everybody's arm slot drops, a, you know, an inch or moves close to their head an inch like Kyle Hendricks did or... You know, something little is barking that they, you know, they don't want to go on the IL for it, but there's there's something going on. There's, you know, something in the back or something in the shoulder or whatever. And I think those little things add up to worse command outcomes. So, I mean, it's not like when you look at Hendricks, you say, oh, well, you know, he lost a, a full mile an hour off his fastball or... Uh, you know, his whiffs uh, cratered or whatever. Like, his whiffs did go down, but he had a 7.1% 1K9 last year, and he had a 67 this year. Um, But you look at that home run rate. I think the home run rate is often an indicator of, of where the command was that year. And he's had a home run rate of less than one per game, one per nine, his whole career, and then uh, 1.6 this year. So I, I think it's all in the misses. Yeah, I mean, looking back last season, he had a 107 on both the curveball and the changeup for a stuff plus number. This year, those pitches are both a tick below 100. The changeup's at 99.4, and the curveball's at 97.6. So the changeup, I think, uh, suffers in stuff metrics because he has two changeups, and it kind of uh, it molds it melts away it melts away to like looking like one average changeup or below average changeup when it's actually, I think, two plus changeups that go in different directions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, yeah, I mean, he's not a stuff guy. Uh, 94 stuff plus overall. He's not a stuff guy. Location 107 is one of the best location numbers I've seen. So he's still up there and it makes him an average pitcher overall this year. So I guess what you're hoping for is uh, just a little bit better health from from him next year, I think. There's got to be something sort of underlying there. Rest of season projection from the bat is easily the best of all the fan graphs options right now. 395 for the ERA, 120 whip. That'd be the worst ratios of his career other than 2021. So that sort of decline is already sort of built into the projection for next year. And I think because he's not overpowering, because he doesn't rack up a lot of Ks, I think he's going to come out really cheap in 2022 drafts. I'd like to buy him in a place where I can do stream him on my team. So I'd like to buy him as one of my last two pitchers, maybe. Doable. Where I don't have to throw him in Colorado or you know what I mean? Like I like I've built in oh, I have Kyle Hendricks for good matchups and I have I don't know, JT Brubrake or something, you know, like a bench bench arm that's like him. Yeah, Brubaker is very similar actually to Hendricks. It's it's mostly command. Uh, the stuff isn't really there. So if I had if I had uh, two of those guys at the bottom, I could also drop one. I, I think if a guy like that isn't going well, you drop him. I was thinking more in like NL only leagues where the 
benchmark to get in those leagues, low, right? Waiver wire guys are usually running high fours, ERAs, horrible yeah, rips. He, he should beat that consistently. Yeah, if he gives you a yeah, if he gives you a three nine five ERA in a, in an NL only, then you're all over it. Yeah, with plenty of innings. I mean, it is a bad team, so wins might be a little hard to come by. But even this year on that bad team, fourteen wins for Kyle Hendricks. So it hasn't been all bad from a a pure roto standpoint. Even though he just hasn't looked at all. Like I've, I've streamed him. Like I've used him. I'm trying to think if there's any other big early round misses. We talked a lot about Blake Snell, and I guess the the adjustment lately is he's really shortened up that arsenal. Like, do you just think he's better off sticking with the shorter arsenal to maintain his more recent effectiveness? I mean, that's uh, there's a straight line you can draw between putting away the changeup and his success. And about five starts ago. He put away the changeup, uh, or at least in, over his last five starts, he put up the way to change up. It's his best five um, starts in a row by Stuff Plus, best best five starts in a row by Location Plus. Um, I like that he's brought the curve back a little bit because I do think he needs it. It's not an amazing pitch uh, by the metrics. Uh, it's a 99 Stuff Plus, 92 Location Plus, not... Not a really amazing pitch, but I do think that he needs to have a third pitch uh, to, if he, especially if they're going to pitch him into the sixth and seventh, you know, uh, to keep turning that lineup over to give them a different look. So I think I've always looked at him and thought he should be a four seam slider curveball guy, um, and I and I think maybe leaning into that uh, may even help him improve those breaking balls. Um, and you could see uh, a better season from him. And the nice thing about buying Blake Snell is that by the traditional metrics that are sticky year to year and determine success, like he's still pretty good. Like in terms of strikeout rate, he's still there. Um, and uh, you know, it's it, it's not a bad bet to just bet on a guy who had a good strikeout rate and his walk rate popped one year. You know, that's kind of what you would do with you, Darvish. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a given season, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that sort of comp. And I, I mean, the August numbers, a 172 ERA over his last six starts, 54 Ks and 36 and two-thirds innings, only 12 walks and four home runs allowed. Tinkering and getting that third pitch back in the offseason is still pretty doable. I, I don't I don't get the sense that Blake Snell's the kind of guy that's going to sit there and go, yeah, I'm good with two pitches. I'm just going to play video games. Like, I think he probably realizes... Gonna need that third pitch. I got free agency Especially coming up getting, again soon. Getting closer, you know, you get as you get closer to free agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the carrot is there. You come off of, uh, you know, it may end up looking like his worst season of his career. He's won a Cy Young, so there is that kind of like, man, you know, I can do better than this. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I don't get the sense that he is the kind of person that doesn't care. I, I, I think they're gonna keep tinkering away. We'll see what the Padres do as an organization with pitching in general. Uh, this offseason because there could be some pretty big wholesale changes around there. Uh, were there any other early round pitchers that you feel like were either big misses by the group or, or guys that you had early, even middle rounds that really just let you down this season? Let me see. I'm calling up the pitcher ranks. Gonna find my mistakes. <laughs> calling up the pitcher ranks. Gonna find my mistakes. Uh, well, we, you know, Jacob deGrom was kind of, I mean, I, I, it's a joke, but, uh, I do remember, you know, there were people in the industry that were like, Jacob deGrom is an injury risk. 
Yeah, but I, I just I don't think that's a thing. Not that not. I don't think declaring a pitcher to be an injury risk is a, a real skill of any kind. And I'm not trying to pick on people that say that. They're mm. pitchers. They break all the damn time. Yeah. I, I, I just I, until we have better ways of predicting pitchers staying healthy, I feel like we can't make blanket statements about pitcher injury risk. Oh yeah, he's likely to get hurt. hurt. Well, they all they all are. I did try to have some sort of injury risk flag, didn't I? DeGrom did have elevated risk the way you calculated it, if I, rec- if I recall correctly. He came up with like, I don't know if it was like a red sort of score, right? Oh, you were trying to go like. May one already. Yeah. I had, a, I had a flag one. I need to go back to March or something. But I wonder how many of the guys that had similar health grades, how many of those guys ended up staying completely healthy this year, too? Okay, here we go. I've got I've got my ranks. Degrom eighty percent injury list uh, percentile injured, but okay. So you're like, woo, the model, great job. Shane Bieber, my number two pitcher, twenty three percent, twenty third percentile injury list. Oh, so you're an idiot. Garrett Cole, seventy eighth percentile injury list. Why was he even seventy eighth? What the hell? Walker Bueller, 47. Okay. Brandon Woodruff, 61. Aaron Nola, 49. Luis Castillo, 50. Jack Flaherty, 14th percentile injury risk. <laughs> hey, this next one, actually, you Darvish, 93rd percentile. He has been hurt this year, right? Well, yeah, but I Little mean, things? I, you know, I'm, la- I'm laughing because it's so hard to. It's like, are, I, I, yeah, is there really a pattern here? I mean, there's mm. the faintest of patterns, but not not a really great one. Max Scherzer, little bit of injury. Clayton Kershaw, 71st percentile, uh, was hurt. Kenta Maeda, 39th percentile. Why? Why? There is a failure in the model there to not pick up on the fact that his UCL was already partially torn. <laughs> yeah, how about Glass now? What was his number at? 79th. See, see, he had elevated risk even before the sticky stuff change. Yeah, based on the model. Again, I, I, I just think this is almost. I'm not saying we shouldn't try. I'm saying it's almost impossible right now to, with accuracy, predict pitcher health. Almost impossible. I think it's uh, in general. I think it's worth it. I'm going to do the flags again because here's Strasburg, 88th percentile. Pablo Lopez, who people probably didn't think had much injury risk, was 60th percentile. I don't know. Zach Wheeler being 90th, you know. Hmm. Lance McCullers, was he hurt at all this year? I think he's been pretty healthy. I think I remember him having like a vaccine-related absence, Mm. but I don't remember any injuries. Carrasco was 95th percentile, though. Um, I don't know. Denilson Lamette, 86th percentile. At least the, the red flags uh, seem to have produced a, a fair amount of injured players. Uh, but anyway, early round misses. Uh, you know, the shape of the season, Luis, let's say, here's another thing. Early round misses tend to be injuries, right? So Bieber, early round miss, injury. Uh, Jack Flaherty, early round miss, mostly due to injury. It's good when he's been, hel- when he's been out there. Right. Uh, Kershaw early round miss mostly injury. Kenta Maeda was an early round miss uh, based on on play and on injury. And then we talked about Hendricks. We talked about Snell. 
I guess the only the only sort of top twenty guy that that pops that wasn't injury that we may want to talk about is Luis Castillo, but he's obviously had like two seasons. And yeah, he looks like the he's back. One was a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Looks like he fixed it. I mean, you go a little further down. Paddock, I think, was an overdraft. Uh, please, please, was an overdraft. Yeah, and yeah. I and I knew it. I knew it. God, I. I God, I hated my rank for Polisak. I really hated the ranking in there. One thirteen whip though this season. Yeah, I mean he still has good command, but there's something weird about those uh, those Indians pitchers, man. I don't think that Quantrill's a great bet for next year. I've been mostly selling him. There's something weird. They're they're well. I think they're well prepared. They have a good game caller. I saw some analysis that said that um, Roberto Perez is like the second best game caller in baseball. Hmm. I think they prepare really well for games, but they have huge blow up games, especially against whenever they run into a good offense. Don't they? Like, why do you think the Yankees destroy the the Indians? Well, because they have a really good offense. Was there, is there a, is there a, is there an angels pitcher? I mean, is there an Indians pitcher healthy right now? So take Bieber out that you would throw against the, the Yankees. I'd feel good about it. Yeah. Mm, no. No. So that's that's somewhat meaningful to me. I don't want that to be my like don't draft him test, you know. But like maybe don't put him in your top twenty if you don't think you can throw him against the Yankees. Tristan McKenzie in the second half before the injury maybe started to pitch like a guy that you'd think about it with, but I would say Close. generally no. No cigar. I don't think I don't think I'll have a, a an Indian in my top twenty next year. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I you know where I really feel good uh, is there's this interesting uh, in the twenties. Uh, there's uh, Burns, Lynn, Lopez, Urias, Urquidy. Uh That's a decent place to go shopping. Yeah, it turned out pretty good. McCullers is right there. But I'm also not mentioning Zach Gallon. I I I I think you could call it a miss, but um nah, he, it's he, a little bit like Labor Torres where I'm like, I'm gonna make that mistake again. <laughs> Gallon had an arm injury early in the season. I, I yeah, sure he's pitched enough, I think you could say it's it's a, it is a miss, but Injuries were a factor in that miss for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to call up his uh, pitching plus thing. We one of the things we want to go live with this uh, partially because uh, right now it's on Shiny Apps, uh, the 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 stuff plus thing that I am using, um, and so it like re- reloads a lot. <laughs> so I'm actually stalling so that I can get Zach Gallon's page up. Because it still hasn't happened, and it's gonna happen soon. I'll race but I, you. I mean, I, you're racing me. <laughs> it's probably making yours go slower. Uh, stealing your bandwidth right now. Uh, anyway, uh, I still see a guy with multiple really good pitches and command of those pitches. I w- I'm gonna chalk it up mostly to injury, like you said. He's got five pitches that are better than. 100 on stuff plus yes and four of them have at least average location plus 
I love him. I love him still. Yeah. I'm all in. It's gonna be fun to get a discount on him temporarily. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna have him next year. I think it'll be hard to uh rank like Carlos Carrasco. Oh, miserably difficult. I think because of his age and the injuries, he's gonna fall a ton though. I think ranking Kyle Hendricks is gonna be pretty tough. Uh, I think ranking Jack Flaherty will be pretty tough because there were some metrics that didn't like him as much either. Yeah. I think Flaherty, I would say, goes in the round four, round five range pretty consistently by the time we get to March. Maybe he's a little cheaper before that because of the injuries, but I think there's going to be a realization that what he was doing this year when he was healthy was still pretty good. So that sounds like uh, 18th to 20th ranked pitcher. Yeah, I think that's about where he'll fall. But I'm in. Yeah. I'm still in on Flaherty. Still like him. Great place to pitch. Yeah. It's a huge part of it. And uh, the K rate, looking at that just real quick, eh, it's, it's still lower than you'd like it to be. He does he does have it's the a look of... pitch pitcher, too. Like a, like a clearly solid SP2 that may never be a year-over-year year ace, even though that 2019 season in the He's year of the great. rabbit ball looked like, a, a, a hey, I'm an ace. I'm maybe a top-five guy sort of ceiling. A good uh, two Logan or a Webber, Jack, Logan Webb's not going to have that much healing, is he? Logan Webb or Jack Flaherty? Jack Flaherty. Flaherty, Flaherty, Flaherty. Yeah. Yeah. Logan, predicting Logan Webb's 2022 ADP. Uh, uh, a topic for another day because I I don't have a good feel for that situation. Flaherty might strike yet. out four more guys per nine than, than Webb. But the reason I brought it up is because uh, I, I think sometimes you just have to give the Cardinal pitchers like a, a fairly sizable park boost. Mm-hmm. San Francisco and, and, and St. Louis are the best places to pitch. Yeah. I think with Flaherty, Oh man, the, the Babbitt began this year, two twenty nine. It just, it jumps off the page. Not because I think Babbitt's awesome, but that's really, really low. It's like, it's the defense, but for his that career, good? it's two fifty two. Yeah. So it, I don't think you have to hit him as hard as you'd hit a lot of other guys that have that. Man, that is that's remarkable. That's so low. Yeah, lowest of his career so far. He's at two forty two in that uh, twenty nineteen season, though. I'm sure that was a reason yeah. people were betting against him. Career three thirty two ERA, career three eighty two FIP. His FIP has been over four the last years. I will say this: FIP is really bad at being projecting <laughs> projected. Like FIP is not a good thing for. It does not help. It does not help in season. It does not help season to season. FIP is mostly useless. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna race it off my dashboard. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, you can take FIP away and never look at it again. Yeah, bye bye. It's happening right here on the radio. Bam. No more FIP. A yes. huge moment in rates and barrels history. <laughs> I updated my Fangraphs custom. <laughs> If you're not watching us on YouTube right now, you don't know what you're missing. Just go to YouTube, search for Rates and Barrels, hit that subscribe button. You get all the episodes there. Eventually, some cool bonus stuff, too. I love it. <laughs> There's no visible uh, evidence on your screen that you actually did it. If only I could do, uh, if only I could put stuff plus up in there in my <laughs> dashboard. Someday, we can all dream about the future. <laughs> Good deal right now on subscriptions at The Athletic. I want to pass that along before we go. 50% off if you go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Be sure to get in for all the playoff coverage, all the stretch run fantasy baseball coverage, all the fantasy football stuff that we're doing as well. 
on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can drop us a line at ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Yes, I will get to the emails, I promise. Inbox zero, probably three months away. But keep sending the emails. We'll keep reading them. We'll keep bringing them into the show. We really appreciate all of those. And of course, as always, if you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, we would greatly appreciate that. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 